Hello, everybody. This is Melinda Russell, and today is our first, very first, I'm so excited, Motorsports Masterclass class. And Lauren Fix is our guest today. Lauren's been involved in racing type things for a long time. She has a lot of good stories, she says, to tell us. So I'm going to welcome Lauren to our first class. And uh, first off, Lauren, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, what you do, that kind of thing. Okay, my name is Lauren Fix. Yes, that's my real last name. I'm originally from uh, Farmington Hills, Michigan. My father worked for the big three automakers. And uh, as a kid, I'd go in the garage. I was not interested in dolls and dresses. I was interested in cars and playing poker for matchbox cars. <laughs> I, I, was, I was a tomboy. Um, and my father, sort of helped me ask me if I could help and I said sure what do I do he says well can you hand me a screwdriver or whatever and I go well which one there's a lot of them so I became the tool jockey learning about all those different things and then I would ask you know what are we doing this weekend because in the garage he had a 55 Thunderbird which he was a charter member of the Thunderbird club and worked for Ford at that time he had a 67 Corvette which he later worked for GM and that was a 327 350 car and then my then he worked at chrysler missile and purchased for my mother a 70 barracuda 383 slapstick real cool bright yellow black interior black top and uh so there's always something to work on plus the boat so i sort of was like what are we doing oh we're bleeding brakes we're changing the clutch whatever that might be and that gave me an opportunity to ask what's a clutch what does it do and so he would stop as a professional engineer in three states he would draw it out for me and i i then understood when he lost his job in Michigan, we moved to Buffalo. I've been living in Buffalo since 1975. Of course, I was a kid. I remember how devastating that was at that time to move because you're like, you lose all your friends. But uh, I've reconnected later, as we all have through social media. And um, I go out in the garage and help my father. And it was great because when I turned 15, I used to ride my bike everywhere like we all did. And I drove by this used car lot and I was a huge fan of the Rockford files. And I wanted a thunder, I wanted, I wanted a Firebird, but I couldn't afford one because the money I'd made from working at my dad's company, because he created a brake remanufacturing company uh, in 1975, is sort of side work that turned out to be a gigantic business um, that I helped bring up to a, a certain level and sell. But in the meantime, I said, geez, you know, I, want, I, I made earned enough money, I'm gonna buy a Firebird, because I love the Rockford Files. I ended up buying a Camaro. Couldn't even drive it home. Uh, they brought it home when I was 15. They parked it in my dad's shop. I must have had 12 coats of wax on it and changed the oil two times just because I wanted to see if I could do it. Um, it was probably one of the worst cars I ever bought. It wasn't that the car wasn't reliable. It just didn't have the performance aspects that I liked. And um, I started, like many of us, we kind of drove when there wasn't people around. You know, dad would show you how to shift. And you know, I kind of knew how to drive before I could drive. Um, and I got my driver's license 10 days after I turned 16, because you could do it that way then in New York State. And um, that was in February, my birthday's in February. In June of that year, actually it was June 28th, 1981, no, 1981, uh, a friend of mine said, hey, listen, would you be interested in coming to an autocross? I go, I, I don't even know what that is. Because it's a bunch of pylons in a parking lot and it happened to be at a, at a drive track. And they used the infield, which was also used for circle track, and he goes, and the fastest time wins. I go, sure, I'm competitive. I'm in. Thinking I got this Camaro, I'm going to kick butt. Yeah, no, I was terribly last. It was painful to realize what a boat this thing was. It had a 305, an automatic transmission. It was terrible. And so that afternoon, after I realized I had a piece of crap for racing, uh, another person came to me who actually dated later on for about four years, 
I uh, said, do you want to learn how to drive a manual? And I said, well, I kind of know, but I've never raced with one. And we ended up dating because he was showing, spending so much time showing me how to drive a manual transmission, how to race. And, and then I ended up, of course, a few months later, I got rid of that piece of crap Camaro and bought my first Ford, which was a 79 Mustang Cobra, which at the time was back when the V8s came in after the gas embargo. And I, of course, I'm really into like the technical stuff. So it had an S-Rod transmission, which was a three-speed with an overdrive of this crappy seven and a half inch axle. And I said, this thing's great, but it needs other things. And he goes, well, who's going to do that work? I said, I'm going to do that other work. My father's been showing me for years. So I went to a local salvage yard and ripped apart some cars and started modifying it. I put a nine inch axle in it. And since my dad had a brake room manufacturing company, I had access to a plasma cutter. I put rear disc brakes on it, put aftermarket exhaust, put a full roll cage in it. And I went to a race later on that year in October. And a friend of mine says, hey, do you want to ride in the pace car? Now, what do they do? They always put the girl in the pace car thinking they're going to yeah. scare her. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It could have been anything. It could have been Formula Fords, Formula Atlantics. could have been MGTs. It could have been anything. But this is when there wasn't as many race classes. There was showroom stock A, B, and C, which was brand new. And there was GT1, which is basically not even two frame chassis cars. And they were like cars with roll cages in them. And then there was all these other open wheel stuff. So, of course, it's the GT1 class. And I turned around to see this whole field of ground-pounding Camaros, Corvettes, and Mustangs. It was a regional race. And I said, I am so doing this. So that I'm one of these, I'm very impulsive. I make decisions like, let's do it. I'm an entrepreneur at, at heart. And I've done a lot of other things that I'm not even going to tell you about, run businesses and created businesses that I sold. But the whole neat thing was I saw an opportunity to have some fun. So I do work to live or live to work. You know what I mean? And I, I want to play. You know, we all work so we can play. So first thing I did is I went to the bank and I took out a loan for 16-inch wheels and they thought it was crazy. Here's a kid who's still in high school, wants to get a loan with collateral against her car to buy some rims and tires. They were Epsilon wheels and BF Goodrich Comp TA tires. So I go racing. So I convinced the bank manager somehow. They signed the deal. My car was collateral and I, I, was, I had a job, so I was making payments. So I would put the wheels in the back of my car, drive the Nelson Ledges, Ohio, jack up the car myself, put the wheels on, set up everything, do it myself. And always there would be someone saying, well, where's your boyfriend? Where's your father? Where's your brother? Do you have some guy helping you? I'm like, I don't need some guy to help me. My father always said to me, and this is the forward in my, my third book, nothing can stop you but yourself. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. And I always thought, he never told me I couldn't do it. So I did it. I matter of fact, that's the whole thing my husband always says. Sometimes I got to tell you not to do things because... You open the door and I'm like the dog that runs out the door. You're never going to catch yeah. me. So, yeah. so um, I, I, I just kept doing things. You know, I modified the car. I contacted CompTIA. I didn't know I couldn't get a sponsorship. The next set of tires came for free. As a matter of fact, I'm still friends with that guy who's probably not even at BF Goodrich anymore. Um, but it's kind of funny how things evolve. And I started racing, did solo ones. And I had to prove myself. And the, the worst time ever, and this is, I have a very special picture that I keep in my phone you know we all have our phone little picture yeah. book. I, went, I went to a solo one it was run by corvette cleveland at the time it was mostly corvettes there and they said oh well you have to run in the corvette class with the women i'm like why he goes you can't run with the guys you're a woman i'm like this is my favorite i use this line on oprah too because i was oprah's automotive expert from 92 till the show shut down i said why do boobs make me slower <laughs> the car doesn't know if I'm a male, if I'm a female, if I'm tall, skinny, what right. I am. The car has no idea. So the guy said, fine, run in the men's class. You can get your butt kicked. I'm like, we'll see about that. 
well, I broke the track record in that class and I was first in class. I have a picture of me coming home holding two trophies. I'm all sunburned as a completely different looking person. <laughs> I had reddish curly hair. Um, and it was one of those pictures you go, I, I knew I could do it. And I didn't need you to tell me I couldn't do it. And just because I was a woman means that the car knows any different because it didn't. It's no. just a matter of being able to do it. And even today, I'll race people into the corner at a turn, like turn one. I'll take the inside line and people will be freaking out. I'll pass you in turn two at Watkins Glen. And they don't know how I do it. And they go, they usually say, and this is not really clean, but they'll say, you got bigger balls than I do. And my answer is usually, sorry to hear that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear that a lot, actually. So <laughs> it's not that unusual. But um, it's funny the things that I've been able to accomplish uh, by just, I don't believe there's a glass ceiling. I know they say there is one. I think there's one if you put one there. If you give yourself a wall, then there's a wall. If you believe there's no wall, there's no wall. So right. I've always said, you can do anything you want in life. The only thing that stops you is you. Now, if you go, well, I don't have the money. See, that's not about excuses. It doesn't have to be about money. There's always good people out there that will help you. Absolutely. And I met some amazing people in this business that I would say they're, they're I call them my brothers. And, and here I am at an event with 60 people. And all of them, we have a great respect for each other. There's women involved as well. And you can tell if you're smart and you're strong and you're confident, and I don't mean overconfident. I mean, you really are passionate about what you do. Mm -hmm. People will find you. And it's amazing even in pro racing. My husband, I taught my husband how to race. I met him in 86. And um, he races professionally. He raced prototypes last year in IMSA. This year we're running in Trans Am. And, uh, and I love the tough one. Yeah, I taught <laughs> Because I ran a driving school from 1986 to 2001 at Watkins Glen. We ran through 100 people three times a year. And it was all about using my business skills and my racing skills together. Because I've, I'll give you a bunch of my metaphors as we go along. Um, I believe every single person has a gift. The key is to figure out what it is. And everybody's good at something. And if you say, oh, I'm not good at anything, that's a line of crap. Everybody is good at something. Everybody has at least one gift. Some people have multiple gifts. And I've met a lot of those people. But when you do... You can find out what it does that makes you happy. And if you can put those things together, then work is not work. You never right. work a day in your life if you love what you do. And I love what I do, and I never work a day in my life. So my rule is love what you do and do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. That's, that's amazing. So many good nuggets right there in that yeah. first 12 minutes that you've given us because I meet so many girls or women, even, even women that are a little older that – their goal is to race professionally. And when we know oh, that's good. very, very hard to get to that point, even, even first of all, if you're a man in a man's sport, oh yeah, it's even hard. And so now you've coupled that with being a woman trying to break into that. And that's why I wanted to come up with this series on other jobs, other ways you can do something, uh, you're passionate about motorsports. You don't have to be the driver. You can right. It's a shame because sponsorship has dried up. When my husband started racing in 1986. I started racing in 1980. He was the best student I ever taught. And it wasn't because he was my husband or my boyfriend at the time. He was an engineer. And he's very specific, but he also restores cars. So he has that, that art craft side. So he thinks very three, four dimensional. And that's part of the skill that makes a really good driver a great driver. Mm -hmm. He's just got natural gift. For me, I have to ultra focus, but I will also tell you this, ladies, and, and this is true, with, and the guys know it, that when you have children, which is a lot of reason people like Danica Patrick don't have children, is it changes the way you're wired. And yeah. 
in the back of your head, you're always thinking about your kids. My kids are 26 and 24, and my daughter's name is Shelby after the cars. <laughs> I said, Paul fixed the third after my husband, who's Paul fixed the second, who races professionally. Uh, and my son raced go-karts from six years old on. And I will promise you, the gift that you have of driving or being a good skilled driver may not be exactly the same in your kids, but you still constantly worry about, my daughter's a great driver, totally passionate. She works in the automotive industry, is another job. She works for a company called Drive Shop. So they handle all the fleets for around the country. So if you're a journalist, you're an automotive influencer, which you can make money. You're a social media influencer, which you can also make money at, or traditional journalist, you need a car. You contact Drive Shop, and it goes through my daughter for the whole Northeast. So you would contact Shelby Fix, and then she, everyone's ranked based on a letter grade. And um, it took me a long time to become an A, let me tell you. Uh, and my son works for that same company, Drive Shop, in the corporate offices in Seattle. And he's an automotive, he finds automotive enthusiast marketing people, influencers, um, people like Donut Media, people that do a lot of YouTube and social media. And there's a ton of money to be made there. Mm -hmm. And the key is if you love cars and you have a following, you could sit at home and review cars all day long and talk Absolutely. about racing, anything, and you're an influencer. Uh, a perfect example is someone like Natalie Decker, who you may have not spoken with. She's, I have. Oh, so Natalie tried Trans Am. She, she runs with Tony Ave Racing. My husband's the team driver for uh, Tony Ave, who's out of, Mil uh, well, he's out of uh, Maiden, North Carolina, but he's from Wisconsin. Um, but interestingly, she's done a great job influencing. And mm -hmm. I think the only thing I would recommend, and, and I, I see this a lot, and I highly recommend, from what I used to look like, which is completely different from what I look like now, because I do a lot of national television and I have to have a certain look about me. Um, it took a long time to craft the change. And this is something that's important, that women don't find you intimidating. They find that they can talk to you, not just about your personality, but the way you look. So that means you're not looking sexy or revealing, but you're approachable or a woman will talk to you or a man will talk to you and the wife or the girlfriend doesn't nudge you and go, you're not talking to that person because right. I feel threatened. On the other side, guys have to know that you're confident in what you do and that you know what you're talking about as we say, you know your shit. Um, if you do, you're right in that middle path where you'll get that respect. If you go the other direction, try to overshow your knowledge, they're not gonna like you. If you go the other direction, like. Some people I know have gone the sexy side. No. It destroys every single thing we've worked for. You lose yep. your credibility because of it how you look. Infuriates me. Yeah. And, I, and Danica Patrick did the centerfold spread. I'm thinking, what are you doing? And what she did was she had actually eliminated Ford Motor Company because I was involved with a project with them at the time. And they said, what is she doing? We will never have her as a spokesperson. We will never utilize her services in any way, shape, or form because we don't sell sex. We are a family company and most companies feel that way. So before you think that's the way to get someplace, it isn't. And I never sell pink either. That's the other thing. I know a lot of girls like pink. I'm a purple fan. My driving suit's not. It's black and black and silver. Um, whatever it is, I, I don't recommend playing the girl card like, and I'm a girl because the car doesn't know any different and people will respect you for saying, no, you're Melinda and I respect you for what you've done. That's what you want. You don't want someone to look at you as a piece of meat or look at you, oh, she, and she's a girl or and. You don't need the and. You are who you are and you want that respect for who you are. Right. It's funny, um, TK, we were talking about TK before we started recording this, our 
my little young friend, she's 10, maybe 11, and races the sprint cars. So when we were in Chicago, we were training her a little bit to do some interviews. And the first person that we happened to be able to talk to was Billy Venerini. Yep. So, so it was the cutest in interview and it's on our YouTube channel. But the thing that he said to her is just what you've said. The car doesn't know if you're a girl or a guy. Cause we asked him, why do you have so many girl drivers? And he said, you know, first of all, money plays into it. Sponsorships yeah. play into it sure. first and foremost, but he loves working with the women. They're very dedicated and hardworking. And he said, when they get in the car, the car doesn't know if it's a guy or a girl. Right. They're a race car driver. They're not right. male or female. No. And now you're the second person that I've heard that emphasizes that, you know, it, it, you are not, you're a race car driver, period, end of discussion, once you get in the car. Right. My race car is an 850 horsepower tube frame chassis, carbon fiber body. It is a 2004 Jaguar XKRS. It's a Trans Am championship winning car. Uh, it's when Jaguar was owned by Ford, back in the early days, the, the premier auto group, they had Ford motors in them. And that was the year to have, because I wouldn't want to own a Jaguar with a Jag engine. It'd be like, a lot of work. But so because it has a 358 engine in it, I'm running that car the way it ran in 2004. And it's very fast. I'm doing over 200 miles an hour. Wow. Um, I don't even know how many Gs. I do have a MoTeC in front of me, so it's a full digital dash. But I, I got to pull the data on it to get specific to each track. But uh, the car's very fast. It's, you know, usually I'm in the top three. Uh, there's other cars because we're such a mixed class. We have, you know, cars that are five years old versus cars that might be from the 90s. But um, I truly believe in leaving the car the way it is because it's historically significant. But still, 850 horsepower, you, you can't let fear scare you. If it is, then this is not the vehicle for you. There are other cars to race. I think it'd be a blast to race like an old Mini Cooper, just because, because it's all about momentum. It would be a, yeah. such a fun thing to do. As actually, we were looking at them. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be a little afraid about tilting it on the side. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but it would be a blast to drive. And I have tried open wheel cars. I've done all kinds of racing. I've done drag racing. Uh, my first book is about the different types of racing I've done. I've done drag racing. And my favorite type of drag racing was get the cheapest piece of crap car. I had a Ford Fiesta. It cost me $400. I'd take it to amateur night and I'd run it with a, I'd sandbag the time. In other words, I'd say it was slower than it was. And then the, the tree would drop down uh -huh. and I'd take off and cut a perfect light and get to the end. And then I'd nail the brakes. And always the faster car was in the other lane because it was always like, come here, I'll Corvette some guy in some big, hot, fancy, fast car. They'd break out. In other words, they'd, they'd, hit, they'd hit the gas before the light actually turned green or they'd go too fast and they'd break out. So either they redlined or braked out. So it was, it was fine for me. I made thousands of dollars off that car. <laughs> was yeah. Um, but then I've also done uh, road rallies. Uh, I've helped on pro rally teams. It's not my thing, but I did have a great time doing a ton of road rallies. I don't recommend it unless you really have good rapport with the person with you. And a lot of the SCCA groups run that. Uh, they're a lot of fun, but they can also cause breakups and divorces. Mm -hmm. I've never done it with my husband because we'd kill each other. Yeah. But someone's always the navigator and someone's always the driver. And there's a lot of little nuances to that. My book, I'd be happy to give copies away. If anyone asks for them, just email me. Okay. Um, and then I've done car shows. We've done professional car shows. We're going to be in Amelia Island this year. My husband restores the most beautiful early 65, 66 Shelbys you've ever seen. 
um, and they sell for top dollar and sometimes he doesn't sell them, but uh, we've always been about that. Um, and what else? I've done road racing, car shows, I ran driving schools. So, I mean, all these, every, I've done pretty much everything except for circle track and sprint car and then the crazy like super high end pro racing. I did do FIA racing in Canada. I had raced professionally for a while. It's very expensive. And yes. unless you've got a sponsor, someone with deep pockets, someone that's totally willing to help you, which I have a lot of friends in this business that are, and it doesn't mean, oh, I come from money and so they won't help me. No, if people like you, they like what you represent, yeah. and you don't have to find them. They're actually going to find you by just talking to you, getting to know who you are and say, I don't really like you. And TK will find a lot of that. And so a lot of you that are watching will find that down the road that you find people you like. But I do have one racing story that not too many people know. Okay. Okay. So my daughter was born in 1992 and I got pregnant and then I had another child, my son, Paul. So in Labor Day, now mind you, he was born December 11th. On Labor Day, that September before, so I'm not seven plus months pregnant, I'm racing a real 63 Cobra, a 289 Cobra at Lime Rock during the Vintage Fall Festival. And I figured, yeah, I'll run this. And then I'll run the next race at Watkins Glen because they're always back-to-back -back weekends of my favorite races of the year. And then I'll just stop because I wouldn't do the Summit Point race and the rest of the races. So I'll just race. Well, at that time, ESPN2 was kind of new and they were looking for cool stories and they were covering vintage racing because that's a big one. Ralph Lauren brings his cars to the show. It's, it was a huge, huge race. So they came by and said, oh, that's pretty cool. Girl racing with Cobra. And I said, and I'm pregnant. What? Bring the camera crew. So they brought the camera crew over and they interviewed me and the other guys in the series in my group weren't aware of that. They, some knew, some didn't. And they were like, oh, we're really concerned about this. I said, well, then pass me wide or let me pass you. That's your choice, you know? And they didn't like that. I said, that's your problem, not mine. And they were like, oh, like, like it didn't stop me. It didn't change my brain. The car still doesn't know if I'm a man or a woman. I'm driving the car and I have the skills. Right. So... I raced and it was funny. I got on ESPN too. And unfortunately the fuel pump had died and it was bucking and kicking. And so they, that was a great end to their little segment saying, was it the car or was it her? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but after that race was over, the people running the organization, which is the VSCCA, which is a vintage sports car uh, club of America came by and they said, you can't race while race, you know, while, while pregnant. And I go, really? So I pull out my GCRs, the general competition rules. I go, where in the GCRs does it say you cannot race while pregnant? And they went, this is Labor Day weekend. He goes, I'll be there by Tuesday morning. Ah. So it is. There is a rule in, the, in the, all the general competitions for every race series. You cannot race while pregnant. And that's because of me. And I was pregnant with my son, who loves to tell that story. The best part of this story is Tony Ave, who owns our race team, was on the competition board then. And I totally forgot about that. And he was just telling me about his history just a couple months ago. And he says, you know... He says, I've been on the competition board since the, you know, since the late 80s. I go, have you really? He said, yeah. I said, were you on the competition board like, uh, I don't know, September of 1993? He goes, sure. Why? I said, you remember hearing about some woman who was racing while pregnant? He goes, oh, yeah, I heard about her. We put a rule in the rule book because of that. And I go, yeah, that was me. <laughs> Roll away. I bet you I could have knocked him over with just a feather. <laughs> so, yeah, so everyone, now everyone kind of knows my husband races in Trans Am, so all the Trans Am people kind of know now. It's kind of funny. But it's a great story because it's like, it's something you can never do again. I'm not recommending you do that. I'm just saying it was a different time. As I say, I started racing when racing was dangerous and sex was safe. Now it's the other way around. Exactly. Exactly. So true.
So yeah, have a, take a drink. You're giving us some great information. So tell me, why don't you uh, share like with the listeners, maybe what, what kind of education did you have to have? What do you do for a job now? And what kind of education do you recommend for someone who wants to get into a different area of motorsports besides the driver? Okay. I realize, you know, um, a mechanic's going to require one kind and that, but just overall, can you, can you share about that? Well, I guess it depends what you want to do. I mean, everyone has a passion. Like I said, if you really like business and you like the business side of this, you can still be heavily involved, whether you work for the SECA, or you work for IMSA, or you work for NASCAR, or maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want to work for one of these marketing companies and you really like that. I would recommend a business degree for anybody because a business degree helps you get a better grasp on how money is made, how money is spent. It isn't frivolous, believe me. Everything is calculated. I'm actually an entrepreneur. I call myself that. I have a business degree with concentrations in marketing and economics. I also take in a ton of engineering classes and I do a lot of continual education. I'm an ASC certified technician. I'm also a member of the Society of Automotive Engineers. I used to design and build brake systems and I thought I was gonna do that for the rest of my life because I will promise you, no matter what you go to school for, no matter what you think your path is, you will wake up one day and go, how the hell did I end up here? Uh-huh. I thought I was going to run my dad's brake business. Um, my mother told me that no matter what I do, I'll be successful. And I had an opportunity in 1986 to be on Motor Week television. As a matter of fact, John Davis, who's the host, is here at this event that I'm at today. And he, we were just discussing that last night. And I went on to talk about braking systems and how they're different in silicone brake fluid versus all the other brake fluids. And... Um, one of the producers came up to me and said, these are things that will happen to you too. Why are you doing this? You should be on television every day. You should be training dealers about cars. And I went, what the hell is that all about? So at the time, remember this is the 80s, he said, you get paid $200 a day as a professional driver, even though I had an education, to go chase pylons in a parking lot while dealers learn the vehicles. And I'm thinking, okay, I can do the math on that. That's a thousand bucks a week. Damn, I'm there. So my father said, yeah, go do it. He never stopped me. Um, as his only child, he never stopped me and told me I couldn't do something. And so I did. He was very supportive. So I went to Cle- drove to Cleveland, Ohio, which is like three hours away, and I'm chasing pylons in a parking lot thinking, this is BS. I can't believe I have a degree and I'm chasing pylons. And I did the job, and I got paid for five days. In the meantime, I talked to the owner of the company and said, you know, I have a degree in marketing. Chasing pylons is sort of like, waste of money for you when you could use me for something else. And she said, it was a lady, the company's still in business. It's called Jackson Dawson and they hire a lot of dealer trainers. Um, and the pricing has changed a lot because there's been a lot of changes in the industry, but there's still a lot of money to be made if you'd like to travel and be involved on the OE side. In other words, the original manufacturer side, learn to meet people, meet dealers, which is also a great industry opportunity. And I ended up doing marketing breakouts and I did them all over the country. And they said, you know what, you're really good. Would you be a lead facilitator? And that's when the money got big, it got real big. And my husband's like, I got the kids, see you later, <laughs> send the check. And I would come home on Friday night late, it was five cities, five days, come home on Friday, leave on Sunday night, be in wherever, St. Louis, Oklahoma City, you name it. And then um, the money was really fabulous. And it was in spurts, they were in 10 week stints. So it was got very, very old, very, very quick. And if you didn't like someone who was with you, you had to learn to deal with it, you know, and that's life anyhow. Um, there's people you race with you don't like, there's people you live with you don't like, there's, you can choose your friends, you can't choose your family kind of thing. And uh, I got to be a lead facilitator 
Uh, I was working at Nissan Altima at the time when it just came out. We were in Jersey City, and I was thinking, this is getting really old. I've been doing this since 1986. It's 2001. And sometimes in your head, you're thinking it's time for a change, but you just don't know what. And the message from God in my head was 9-11 when I could see the smoke from a distance. And all I thought was I had rented a car and I never rented a car during those things. It was one of those things that like get in the car and go home. And no one wanted to tell the 400 dealers, the sales guys that were there, what had happened. And I went up and told them all what happened. I said, you guys do what you need to do. This is all BS. And as I drove home, I said, it's time for a change. And that was it. And I told, I started switching to journalism, which is not recommended these days. Automotive journalism is a dying breed. Mm -hmm. Like it's graduating from college. I'm going to write about cars. I'm going to review cars. It's a really tough business. Um, right now, I would say when I started 30 years ago, writing about cars and reviewing them, there were hundreds of us, hundreds of amazing print outlets. When's the last time you opened a magazine? When's the last time you bought a newspaper? Everybody's cutting cords. So if it's not online, like this show, people don't typically see it. And we all live on social media with attention spans of a net. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I don't recommend automotive journalism. There is writing, if you're a great writer, in working at a PR firm or a marketing firm, writing press releases, working for manufacturers, huge opportunities. I have a friend who worked at Porsche for years and got a great opportunity to run their motorsports program. I never see Dave anymore. He's in Germany. Oh, I'm at the Nürburgring. He's in racing. And he gets to play, too, because they're factory cars. And somebody has to test drive them. And Dave loves to race. He's into restoring cars, too. So he found an opportunity where he's still in love with his cars. And it's Porsche. I mean, that's a hard job to get. Because believe me, there's not that many employees there. And he's racing cars and helping consumers. But when you're also on the dealer side is training, you're still involved with cars. And sometimes there's racing events. And some ex-racers like Tommy Kendall, because he's a known name, they utilize those talents, not just for the media, but they use it to help train people how to drive. So there's a lot of great opportunities if you're really a well-known, great driver with excellent skills. But if you say, I've got the skills, I don't have the known name, there's, you can train at dealers, you can work at a dealer situation, you can be a salesperson, that's a tough job. You have to really be very flexible and used to people. If you're not a people person, there's inside jobs. You can do marketing, you can do PR, you can do uh, accounting even. Uh, there are so many different aspects of it. There are people that I know that have graduated college with a degree in computers and programming and really like deep dive stuff. And what they're doing now is they have an Opticoat franchise. They're putting that real cool, clear coding on their cars. These are two guys that are so well-educated, they could probably build their own computer system and all the networking behind it. They found a great business in putting OptiCoat on premium, high-level exotic cars. And they get to drive them afterwards. And then they get to drive them to people's houses. They go to people's homes. And I mean, they meet the coolest people. Um, there's a young man in our area who started Cars and Coffee Buffalo. And I'm a big supporter of him. He never asked for money. But if I can help him, I'm always there. His passion is so strong. He reached out to everyone in the area. We didn't have car clubs for like McLarens and Lamborghinis and Ferraris. And he created a Cars and Coffee Buffalo. And actually it's this weekend. I own a Ford GT. Um, my business is constantly moving uh, and shifting. But um, I help him and he brought all these people together. So if I can help Matt, absolutely well I'll help Matt. Not because he's asked, because I see his passion. And that's where you're going to find people saying, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? But for me, in doing all this training, I got an opportunity to be on Oprah in 92 to talk about 
winter driving of all things. She was, this was before she really got into all the celebrity. And I was in Chicago, there's a big snowstorm and she got stuck in it. So that's how it sort of like raised a flag. So again, things are, timing is everything. Mm -hmm. And when the, someone knocks at the door, don't ever say no. Listen, you don't have to accept that opportunity. Listen to it, think about it. Don't be pressured into an answer. And if you're not sure, ask someone. There's, oh, believe me, people, no one likes anything more than to be asked for their advice. That doesn't <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you don't have to take it. But, but this all evolved into giving me more exposure. And then when CNN was just new, they called me to do automotive. And then it was Fox, and then it was CNBC, and then there's a bunch of networks that aren't there anymore. And so now I'm um, the automotive expert for Inside Edition, the Weather Channel, Fox Business, CNN International, Newsmax TV, and I'm independent for a reason. Um, USA Radio, I write for Parade, Forbes Magazine. Uh, I do a His Turn, Her Turn car show with my co-host. I have huge social media reach on my YouTube channel, which is Lauren Fix, or Car Coach Reports. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Lauren Fix. I'm always putting up stuff that you probably want to know about. I don't put up crap. I don't put up politics. I just put up things that, that impact you that you want to know. Um, Facebook, of course, you pick it. Snapchat, I'm on everything. But you have to be. These days, if you're not on everything, including Pinterest, you go, who the heck's on Pinterest as you're restoring, re remodeling a bathroom? You'd be surprised. Exactly. Because you need to go where people live in order to get your message out. But the key for me is there's a book out, it's old, but if you don't want to read it, you can look at the spark notes or online. It's called Who Moved the Cheese? Oh. If you've not read it, it's very valuable because the story in a nutshell, in a really quick nutshell, is all the mice come every day and the cheese is put down there and they eat the cheese. And every day the cheese is there, so they go and they eat it. But one day they get there and the cheese is gone. So a bunch of the mice stand around going, well, should we wait? I'm gonna wait for the cheese, it's, it's gonna come someday. And a bunch of them mice go, oh, I'm gonna look elsewhere because obviously it's not here, we've been waiting, we're starving to death, what are we gonna do? So a couple of the mice stay behind, the other mice go looking for the cheese and they find cheese elsewhere because the cheese has moved. But the mice that stayed behind thinking the cheese is coming back, they end up dying. And the moral of the story is, the cheese is constantly moving in our industry. There's a constant evolution of cord cutting, of social media. This channel's good, this channel's bad. So when the newest thing comes out, get on it. We're on Zoom, it's new, you learn about it. You have to, because if you don't, you're, you're left in the dust. Right. And left my, in the dust. Right, and my daughter's 26, so we have this great little challenge, because when she wanted to get on Facebook originally, that's how I had to learn was, I want to get on Facebook. I said, yeah, if I have your password. So now it's become this little race. Hey, did you hear about this new app? I'm on it. Because what I, every single app that's new, I have my name, Lauren Fix. And yeah. the reason I have it is I'm new. I still have an, an AOL account that is my initials because it's been, as a matter of fact, when I used to call AOL, they're like, how the hell did you get that? I go, you remember those discs they used to send you in the mail? I still have that. That's a junk account now. I just, you know, people, I need your email goes there. But anything you can use, yeah. You know, I have laurenfix.com. I'm early at that. I trademarked my name. My daughter Shelby Fix goes to her channel on my, on my website. But you have to be early on this stuff, especially yeah. if you have a, a, a unique name, it's easier. If you have a pretty normal name, like Joe Smith, you don't want to be Joe Smith 5674329 because I'll never find you. Right. I need to, my co-host is Paul Bryan. He uses the Paul Bryan. So you might find other ways to do that. But my suggestion is be early, learn. Life is a constant learning lesson. If you haven't learned something once a day, 
you're leaving something behind. So every day, try to learn what, it doesn't have to be how to play the piano. The idea is that you learn something that you didn't know. I didn't know that. That's new. You learned something new today. Absolutely. And it's interesting you mentioned Pinterest because I, uh, I really never got into that that much, even though I was a big crafter, scrapbooker, I design cards with, I have a send out cards business. And so I've done that for a long time and I, and I used to do graphic design, but the Pinterest thing, you know, I, I'm 62 years old and I'm not into really all new recipe. I just really never got into it. Then I started the International Women's Motorsports Association about a year ago. And of course, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but I've been reading more and more and more because I want to share with everybody what, what's the best way to do things. And Pinterest is one of the things that they highly recommend any business person be on Pinterest. And it's funny because I have a Pinterest account. I relabeled it IWMA and I started sharing racing, you know, pictures and all kinds. I've got all kinds of people following me now. Yeah. Isn't that cool? It's very cool. And then LinkedIn too. LinkedIn was one that a lot of people hadn't done. And I was on LinkedIn for send out cards for a long time, but so I've changed that over now to the IWMA and I went in and I searched under racing and these are, these are people of influence that are on LinkedIn. A lot of them. I get all my business off of LinkedIn. You wouldn't believe the communications I get. PR companies that want to hire me, speaking events that want to hire me. I, I do a thing called Lauren Speaks. And I either tell my story or I talk about motivating people in general. And I've spoken for American Express, uh, Maui Gym. I never know who the hell is going to call. It's awesome. I mean, but LinkedIn is absolutely a must. I actually crafted both of my kids to help them do their LinkedIn when they were in high school. And they said, why? I said, because you can post stuff. You start networking. My network is your network. Well, because of my last name, it's pretty easy to spot me. And I've got a pretty elevated name. My social media reaches somewhere around 14 million. But because I'm constantly working the craft, constantly working the system. Yeah. And you have to do it. You have to say, if you follow me, Melinda, I'll follow you back. If you follow me, I'll follow you back. And what happens is it causes a network that's nice and tight. And when I do need cards, I'm gonna say, hey, Melinda, send me some information about your card business. I, I'm doing a party and you know, that's the kind of thing. Or I like that dream sign that's behind you. Did you make that? I want that. So that's yeah. the kind of thing that I think people, people like to support people that have the similar interests. And when they're looking to hire someone in any way, shape or form, they're gonna find you, they will find you through LinkedIn. I'm telling you, that's probably one of the best assets you'll ever have. I agree. And I, I see so many people on Twitter racing is huge on Twitter, but um, on the LinkedIn, when I put racing in, it's like, you know, VP of something at Roush Fenway, you know, director of marketing at Kyle Busch Motorsports, whatever it is. And it was like that, that was one of the best things that I've done is connect with those people. I just talked to a guy last night at Phoenix. Well, now it's ISM, but it was Phoenix International. And we had a great conversation about, you know, uh, coming to the track, all the changes, and because of LinkedIn. So I, I, I highly we're, we're connected, so that means you might see some of my connections that might be of interest, and you may say, hey, Lauren, I really like to meet so-and-so. Or I heard you talk about Tony Avi. I can't get to him. No problem. So I would then send an invite for Tony to meet you, and then he would go, oh, Lauren recommended that I'm now friends with Melinda. 
Right. And that's how that happens. It is. It's kind of Yeah. And it does, it's not just jobs, but it's good for business. My son got his job. They have a jobs uh, tab as well. He got his job and found out about the job availability on LinkedIn. They hadn't even posted it on Indeed or anything. And that's how he got his job. Yeah, absolutely. He went and saw who my son was linked to, who I was and who I was linked to. And he goes, okay, this guy was brought up in the business. So he wasn't like some guy who just likes cars and no one in his family was connected. So he realized there was some connection. So they brought him in for an interview and then you sell yourself. Exactly. That's, that's such good advice for people. I, I'm in the process because once this masterclass series is done, the next one is going to be about branding and you know, a lot of race teams, big and small, some Mm -hmm. do really good at it. Some don't, but the whole branding thing too is about behavior. Yes. Your behavior is part of your brand. And a lot of people don't get that either. Oh yeah. Talking about, what you should or shouldn't post and those kind of things. I'm having a great, yes. I'm having a ball actually writing the course. Cause it's, well, I can help you with the branding. I branded myself as the car coach and it's become a brand. Uh, I also, at some point we were able to beat the big teams in early Trans Am from 2000 to 2006. Cause there was a lull when they weren't around. Um, it was interesting cause we were coming up against factory teams. It's like, how are you going to beat them? How are you going to beat the exposure? I said, I can beat the exposure. No problem. It was easy because my husband's not my personality. I'm very A-type. He, he can be very A-type if you push him, but he's not. He's a, he's a great guy, real smart, but he's an engine engineer, so he's not like my personality. So I called him the wired piranha. And he goes, what? <laughs> so because a piranha says, look at the cute little fish in the tank. Yeah, go ahead, put your hand in the tank. Uh-huh. You're going to come out with a bone, right? Yeah. Well, so that's how my husband is. He's the nicest guy until you get him on the track and he turns into a piranha. So, uh, so we called him the wired piranha. So everyone was handing out big fan cards and all this stuff. I had my kids putting temporary tattoos on people's shoulders that said the wired piranha. I got a pile of them stuff. And we were handing out bags because why everyone was c- struggling with, I noticed, with posters and fan yeah. cards and stuff people were giving away. There was no bags. So I made bags that said, Paul Fix, the wired piranha car number 77 and it was everywhere and paul genalozzi who was running the series at the time was so pissed that i beat him at his own game everyone was carrying around paul fixed fan bags for all the cards yeah even his stuff was inside so they made it take the bag home it was just really great for branding and it helped us get a sponsorship we had the kimpton group hotels we used buca de beppos when they used to sponsor they gave us food we would get so much coverage and the smart branding thing is we get more food than we need right Right. What do you do with it? Well, you could give it to another team. Or you give it to the guy who's announcing. Oh yeah. He's up in the announcer booth. They're eating crappy sandwiches that have been sitting there all day. The dried out bread, and you're bringing them up pasta and meatballs and Caesar salads and and all. I always purposely set aside an extra tray for them, and they would go rave. Oh my God! Thanks, Lauren Fix from the Car Seventy Seven. Paul Fix Jaguar. This is great. We're actually eating real food. Thanks to Buca de Beppos. That's local advertising, and it worked every time. You can do it with pizza. You can do it with cookies. You can do it with anything. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that because a really good friend of mine is an announcer at a couple local tracks. Food. uh, He he gets a lot of cards from me and brownies and stuff that we send through send out cards. And so and then we sponsor some races when my son had a race car, and we got a lot of press from the from him during those races to where everybody knew send out cards. They might not know what it was or what we did, but they knew the name because 
he, yeah. And, and so you build that relationship and then you feed them a little bit of goodies and they don't forget you. <laughs> no, especially if you bring it up during the race, you bring it up just before yes. the race starts. If you're doing a local circle track, these guys, you know, that maybe the race, like a, it's a night race and it starts at seven o'clock or six o'clock, bring them up a pizza. Right. Your sponsor is a local pizza place. You brought me a pizza, like a real pizza, like, like some crappy cold thing that's someone pulled out of the freezer. Right. And we brought your Cokes and whatever waters. And yeah. we're going to say, thank you so much for the car number or whatever. We appreciate the pizza. You say, I'll just keep bringing it to you if you don't mind. Because I yeah. just feel for you guys, you're, work, you're working so hard up there. Absolutely. And we appreciate what you do for us because we're nothing without you announcing. Yeah. Now you got a friendship. And I've done that with so many people out there that I'm friends with so many of the announcers from different race series that have moved all over the place and you meet other drivers that become announcers and they all know you and if I have food left over beyond that I always find the race team that's struggling and I go up to them and say hey you guys need some food they're like oh my god we're starving and I would bring them the extra food and that's how we got to be friends with a lot of other teams also yeah you know that's that's funny it, we have so many things kind of in common and some things because um Todd Gilliland and his dad came to Kalamazoo to race a few years ago for the big race that they have. It's called the Kalamazoo Clash. Yeah. And it draws some pretty big names. Well, at the time, Todd was still racing, I think, ARCA yeah. and, um, or CRA. And so they came, and it just so happened that we had gotten introduced to David Gilliland at PRI when we had a booth there one year. Yeah. So he and my son developed a friendship. They came to Kalamazoo to race. They rented the track the day before, invited us to come out and use the track with them. We did. And then I fed them because I'm from here. And yeah. the wife and the daughter weren't there. It was all guys. Yeah. And so I went to the local Harding store and got, you know, a, whatever. It doesn't matter. Food. and Make a pot of chili. Make a pot of chili. Yeah. And they've, they've been our friends ever since. And now, you know, Todd's really doing well yeah. in the truck series and that. Yeah. And every time I see them. And, and then I also have sent him a lot of brownies. Whenever he wins, he gets a card with brownies. Oh, I bet he loves it. <laughs> and, and they know me as the brownie lady. And I love it. It's great. And so... In your business. You're now the brownie lady. You should be selling I, them. Yeah. Well, kind of through send out cards. But, but it's, it's just building those relationships with yes. people. You never know who that person knows. That's true. And, and food is the connection. Let me tell you. I've made chili at the track. We've had chili cook-offs. I used to, we used to do a lot of vintage racing before that. And I always do this, so many people from the South, so many people from the North. And at some point every year, we do this North-South cook-off. And I used to always say, you guys from the South bring things. And so I was, somehow I got sucked into organizing this. Because you're the woman. <laughs> you know, I, I offered to do it kind of thing too. But I, I love, I love plotting and being entrepreneur and creative and I had all the people in the South bring things and I, they would each tell what they had and I would contact them and, and email them and call them because it wasn't like the internet is today and they would all bring like I'm bringing you no know, alligator I'm bringing moonshine like I'm bringing chicken wings oh yeah I'm bringing you know Cincinnati chili and you know people from Philly would bring stuff to make Philly cheesesteaks and we would all get together and we'd all wear we would wear blue and gray hats you know which team you were on and then we would all just try each other's food and have a great time and we'd do it on that Saturday night it was, just, it was just a way to feed everybody. And it was right. really one of the best things because I know so many people at the track. And even through my driving school, people that learned how to drive and then got into racing, I, I've created a lot of monsters and those out there that know. I'm like, thanks, Lauren. Because um, I cost a lot of money. It's just a pit in the asphalt we all pour money into. Yeah. Um, 
That's what I call it. If you're into boating, it's a pit in the water. Uh -huh. you know, if you're into golf, it's a pit in the green, you know. Yep, <laughs> pick, your, pick your pit to pour cash into. Um, and uh, it's great because as they become pro racers, I run into them. And some of them I trained with, uh, Terry Borcheller, I, I can't think of all these people. Cindy Lux, who you need to interview. Love, love, love Cindy Lux. Wonderful okay. human being. She lives in Portland, um, Oregon. Fantastic driver. We raced together in the Women's Global GT Series. She now runs in Trans Am, and she's one of my favorite people. I love Cindy. She's really done a lot of cool stuff, and she's been through a lot. Um, there's actually a lady named Mimi Lux, who I met years ago at Firestone Racing. This is way back. We're back to the 80s. And her son got into go-kart racing with my son, and he races in vintage with me. And we were just talking about old go-kart racing days. So this is kind of neat, these people you meet. And you know what the one thing is? The commonality of everything is cars. Mm -hmm. You don't know what these people do for a living. Yeah. Mimi Lux is an attorney, and she owns this gold refining company, and they're super successful. I didn't know that. I just knew it was a woman I raced with. Uh -huh. This runs a business in Oregon. I have friends of all walks of life. I used to race with a guy named George Stoffer. I had no idea who he was until I was in Madison, Wisconsin, and he goes, hey, I want to show you my car collection. Oh, yeah, he's got a car collection. He's got the biggest collection of Shelbys and Cobras and military equipment you've ever seen, including firearms. It was unbelievable. And I go, how did you end up this way? Oh, my parents started, remember we used to get those books in the mail that sold cheese? They were like gift packs. Wisconsin cheese or something. Swiss Colony. Oh, yes. Swiss Colony. Oh, wow. Like farms. They would sell like boxes on boxes yeah. of stuff. That was his family business. Oh. And they sold it. <laughs> so he's loaded. He's got a, a Lamborghini LM002, which is like the only SUV they built with a 50 cal gun turret on the back. And this guy's like, unbelievable collection. I raced with this guy. I had no idea who the hell he was. We just became friends. And it's right. kind of neat because that common bond is interesting. I, I went through a situation which a lot of people don't know about. I had intestinal cancer and I'm fine. It was about 14 years ago. But every single person that did my surgery or worked on me was car related. The surgeon really? knew because of cars. The guy who was the anesthesiologist knew because of cars. The friend who gave me advice was cars. I mean, everyone was cars. And because of that, they, they kind of pushed me through the line and got me through it quicker. It is really interesting. Car people love each other because of yeah. cars. They, will, they bond together like no other industry I've ever mm -hmm. seen. And I don't care if you're into racing, if you're into collector cars, show cars. Our network is so tight. I have a friend who's from outside the industry who just purchased Drive Shop. And he says, because I cannot believe how tight-knit this community is. I said, oh, it's not just the collector cars it's original equipment cars it's the industry as a whole automotive is a very tight family and i would say just to give you an idea how tight it is to look at it from a financial perspective and take a step back half of the dow jones half of the stock market is impacted by the automotive industry half wow in some way shape or form so don't tell me there's not an automotive job out there for you i don't care if you're working in any aspect Go look at the Dow Jones. Half of it has some impact because of the auto industry, whether that's autonomous cars, it's tires, it's components, it's some aspect. There's a million companies out there looking for passionate people, and that's the hardest thing they can't find. Yeah, exactly. I, I, the race family is the thing. You know, I interview a lot of women who race at their local track. They're not famous. They don't care to be. They're never going to be. Yeah. But the thing I hear interview after interview when I say what is what do you love most about racing it's the people it's yeah. the race family 
it's, you know, and then the stories start to come. Oh, this happened. And th this is what they did for me over and over. Yeah. And there, there is no other sport one where you can get close to the drivers like we can in right. racing. Yes. There's no other sport that has the camaraderie. I don't think after you leave the track. So, True. you know, my son-in-law is a fabulous baseball pitching coach right. and he's got a core, you know, group of people and he, He's got lots of contacts, but they're not like the racing family. True. They're, it's it's so different. And I don't care where you live, because I've been getting friend requests from people who I can't even read their posts because they're posting in a different language. Yeah. Hopefully they're posting something good, but uh, you know. There's a translator all the way at the bottom. I know. I'm gonna have, I'm, I, I have done that some. But they're, they're all interested because of racing, of cars of drag cars of show cars it doesn't matter right if you're if you're into cars trucks you know whatever off-road my girlfriend off -road. you need to interview sue mead she's been racing off-road for years she's part of the jury that i'm the president of north american car and truck of the year so when they call the car of the year she she's on the jury i'm the president of that jury so i call the car of the year in detroit every year um that's that's what i'm here doing we're doing all the competitive drive but she's great. She's been racing off-road. She's got shot at in places in other countries. I'm like, I, I, I'm out there, you know, yeah. I love racing, but yeah, I'm not getting shot at. <laughs> no, no, me either. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'll connect, I'll connect you to Sue. She's got fabulous stories too. Yeah, you're going to have to send me some people to interview because oh, yeah. this, is, this is amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I, I just can't get over. I, when I started this association, I couldn't find anything where women could find a meet in one place you know through the internet where they could talk share show what they're doing and not that we don't celebrate the men too we do but the women were being lumped in and often at the bottom yeah and so i i just was looking for a way to connect the women and it has absolutely changed my life I've met so many amazing people like you. I, I could sit and listen to you all day. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, we're going to have to meet in person for sure. Yeah. And I just, my heart gets filled with so much joy when I talk to a young gal that's 23 years old and she wants to be whatever she wants to be in life. She just wants to be able to race because she loves it. Right. You don't see people bowling or football or you don't see that and yeah. and you can do it till you're 80 years old if you're in the right shape that's true i work no. out every day trust me I, I live a paleo lifestyle i have for eight years partly because of the surgery and, and what i had to go through but but you know what it keeps me lean i work out uh, my husband and i do yoga pilates we do weights we do cardio i mean but you know i there's nothing better than having a good old steak so yeah <laughs> but um it's funny that the people are really fabulous and, and the people you meet mm -hmm. that are historic, you know, part of history is really cool. I've met some really amazing people. We were very close with Carol Shelby before he passed. Of course, he was a racer. Um, my daughter was very close with him as well. Her name is Shelby, obviously. Um, but it's just a whole neat thing. And there's some wonderful guys in this business that are very, very supportive of helping people, not just women. And, um, and we're all very, I think the one thing about car people there's a lot of sarcasm you better be able to say that as a, as a secondary language yeah. and my my biggest advice for women in this business and i've heard all this stuff's going on politically correct blah, 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 blah. 
bottom line is you need to have thick skin. And my father told me one piece of advice that I use pretty much every day. And I've had my time where guys have given me crap. And I've had times where they've got out of their way to make my life hell. And I'll, I'll get them back. It's just a matter of time. Not necessarily on the track. I had a couple people, you know, do some nasty stuff to try to get back at me. That was then, this is now. But my father always told me, even as a kid, you need to be an M&M. And I used to say, what do you mean? He goes, hard on the outside, you can be as soft as you want on the inside. You don't have to let people in. Yeah. When I'm not saying everybody, because there's a lot of great people out there and you'll let them in and they'll know. I come across very strong. People are like, oh shit, uh, this woman, no one's gonna like her. And they meet me and they go, wow, you're just so different than I expected. I'm very warm. I actually am very, if you know me, you know how to push my buttons. But if I come across and I meet you, I'll reach out and go, hi, I'm Lauren Fix. And they're like, whoa. Uh, I just had a situation just the other day. I was at Watkins Glen, um, second weekend of September. And they mixed this stupid group of ITG cars. So they had like Ferraris that were made of carbon fiber mixed with my car, mixed with Porsches. It was, it was ridiculous because we all drive different lines on the track because they're rear engine and front engine. And um, he came in on the inside of me, but he wasn't in the passing zone. I took the corner. I got more power than he does. I took off. Well, afterwards, he came over to the pits and he says, who's driving that Jaguar? And I'm still in my driving suit. And I come out and I'm like, my husband's like, what are you going to say? I'm like, I'm crafting a conclusion in my head. <laughs> in my head, I'm thinking there are three ways to handle this. One, I can tell him to stuff it up his backside and get the hell out of my pit. Two, I can say, hey, dude, this is racing. Or three, I could play that Me Too card. I was thinking about doing that and I'm thinking, this could be fun. This could be fun. I could really play with this guy. So um, I told you, you got to be tough in this business. So I come down and I go, can I help you? Because you drive this Jaguar? I said, I certainly do. What can I do for you? Now that comes across pretty strong. Yeah. And he's still in his suit. I was driving that Ferrari. You cut me off. And he's yelling and screaming. I just sit back and I listen to him vent. Just like you would anyone else. I'm not going to fight him, you know? And so all the guys working in my husband's car, because it was a vintage race and a Trans Am race together. So they all stopped and they're watching like, they're going to defend me, my guys. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I'm a blue belt in karate. I can take care of myself. Um, so I'm letting this guy vent and, and I'm thinking to myself, I can play the Me Too card, but this guy's probably going to freak out. I could just, I could have gone after him and said, well, I'm a girl. You're obviously upset with me because I'm a girl. I'm telling you that will never sell in racing if you try to do that. You, you will be shunned by our community because yeah. that's not how it is. You are a driver. Exactly. So I said, and I said to him, listen, this is racing. Your nose was not at my driver's door. I'm faster than you. You came up out of nowhere and tried to stick your nose in there. This is racing. He goes, well, you knocked off my passenger mirror. It's going to cost me X amount of dollars. And I said, no damage to my car. I go, this is racing. It wasn't intentional because if it was, you'd be in the Armco. And he goes, and he walked away. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like, woo, we thought you were going to get into it with him. I said, you know, I was thinking I could just screw with his head a little bit and play that Me Too card. But I thought, you know what? This guy's being a real jerk. So I'll just play his game, you know? And all, all the guys behind you went like this. Yeah, they were, they were all hugging me. It was great. <laughs> yeah. It just happened a couple of weeks ago. And then Tony Ave's there with all his guys and crew chiefs and all the technicians and engineers. So we have like 18 guys in our team. And my daughter was staying way back in the corner. She was laughing. She goes, Mom, she goes, I was watching you. She goes, I thought you were going to kill him. I said, you know, the key is I'm not looking for a fight. But if you come over here looking to get in my face, 
you better be able to defend yourself. And that happened to Natalie Decker too. Someone said she cut her off and she just kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She's a wonderful girl, but she's also very young. And I said, can I talk to you afterwards? And she said, yes. And I said, Natalie, you're a great driver. You don't know this car in the series and you're learning it. But the worst thing you can do is apologize. Just go, sorry, and say it with confidence. Sorry, you know what I mean? Because the fact is, if you start going, oh, I'm a girl, I'm new and all that, they're never going to respect you. The yeah. respect is something you earn. And it's not gifted to you because of your last name or how much money you have or what car you're driving. It's something you earn. And it's not just on the racetrack, but it's in the pits. So you create yeah. friendships with people. They get to know who you are and what you're about. And they know they can count on you. I have more guys coming to me telling me their personal problems. I feel like I'm everybody's psychiatrist or mother than anything else because they, they rely on me because they know I'm not going to steer them wrong. I'm a straight shooter all day, all day long. So Natalie Decker um, drives her Venerini. And yeah. I had followed her. And then I was able to meet her. Then we got to interview her. Then I had there her on my radio. I yeah. had a a podcast early on that was just audio wasn't the video had her on have seen her several times she's doing she's, great she is a sweetheart but she yeah. has to be the m&m she can be as sweet as she wants to but yes and it she is young and and she's yeah. in a big series where she gets a lot of press and i think right. it's a lot to learn she's got great people around her but the parents are very supportive. Very supportive. And not just her. There's there's other girls that are in that same situation that have to right. learn that, hey, once I'm here at the track, I'm a race car driver. Right. I'm not I'm not any different than the guys, all the rest of them that are probably guys. And yep. and such good advice, you know. Um really appreciate that wow i we could go on and on but i know you have an appointment you have to go to yeah, i have one piece of advice thing i was on oprah i had to do um I, she asked me to go on her live your best life tour and it was all these different cities around the country and i really got a chance to know her one time they went she, on a bus didn't they yeah we, we did all kinds of stuff we had a great i learned a lot and i got to meet her and i mean i don't have her phone number or anything but i really got a chance to learn from her and one day she couldn't get out of this building because they had locked all the doors. It was in DC. And they said, hey, listen, everybody, all the rest of the experts have left. Can you just get on the stage on this round stage and just distract people to let her out? And so she stuck out the back. So I'm like, what am I going to do to keep these people's attention? Because they were giving a giveaway at the end. And they, of course, if they saw her, they, they, they go chasing after her. Right. So I got up on the stage and I'm thinking, oh my God, I already did my shtick. What am I going to say? You know what I mean? So I'm looking around and I start talking about women and cars and this and that. And that's kind of what she wanted. And I said, ladies, here's the bottom line. These don't make you stupid. Your boobs do not make you stupid. They make men stupid. And they just started laughing. And I just went on this whole thing about, you know, cars don't make a difference. Remember, no matter what you're driving, even a streetcar. Your streetcar doesn't know what you are. Your race car doesn't know if it's a man or a woman. It only knows that something's putting pressure on a gas pedal or something's putting pressure on a brake. And so because of that, it's what you do up here and how you'd make your choices for yourself to make your life better. You know, it's all about living life. It's not about fighting someone else. Try to get, take, as I tell my daughter, take the emotion out of it. There's a lot of great things that we all have and find your skill, hone that skill, and it, you can do anything you want because nothing stops you but yourself. Amazing, Lauren, absolutely amazing. We're gonna have to have you on again. Okay. I, I, we, we've only touched this much, a tip of I'm sure what you can share with us, 
And, and if you're willing, we would yes. definitely want yes. to have you on again. This has been absolutely amazing. The women and men who are going to hear this are going to be blown away by, by it. And I so appreciate you and you giving us your time. And what a way to kick off the Motorsports Masterclass Series. Man, <laughs> my other ones are going to have a lot to live up to, but I'm sure they will. <laughs> Thank you. You can follow me on all forms of social media and I'll answer your questions. If you've got questions, uh, just reach out to me. I answer all my own emails and all my own. Okay. Stuff. All right. So Gabe responded great stuff. So he's been listening. He just uh, couldn't, I couldn't get the mute off, I guess, or whatever. But anyway, um, Thanks, Gabe. awesome, awesome interview. Loved it, Lauren. And uh, thank you again. I'll be in touch and connect me with some of your people that you should be on here and and we will, we will do that. So Excellent. thank you. All right. You have a good rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Take care, everyone. All right.